Section 11 of The Logic of Vegetarianism by Henry S. Salt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 11. The Aesthetic Argument. Closely connected with the humane argument is the aesthetic argument, the two being, in fact, twin branches of the same stem. For humane, as the Latin shows, has the double meaning of gentle and refined, so that humanity, in the original conception of the term, implies not only a moral regard for the rights of our fellow-beings, but also an aesthetic appreciation of what is beautiful and pure. Culture and good breeding, together with justice and compassion, are the characteristics of humane man, and the fact that this twofold sense of the word has been well-nigh forgotten in the education of the modern gentleman may serve to explain why there is often such a grievous lack of gentleness in persons who claim to be refined. Our literae humaniores are a mere academic course of book-learning, the humane element being altogether left out of account. And to such bathos has this divorce of gentleness and refinement carried us, that, in some quarters, a professor of humanity is a teacher of Latin grammar. We are prepared, then, to find that the aesthetic or artistic faculty of the present day is deplorably narrow in its scope, and is so ignorant of the true relationship of humanity and art, that it actually prides itself on omitting from its ken all humane considerations, while it diligently searches for the beautiful and the picturesque, as if beauty were a thing detached from the realities of everyday life. The bare idea that there is an aesthetic side to the diet question, beyond the mere delicacies of cookery and embellishments of the dining-table, would be scouted as ridiculous by ninety-nine out of a hundred of our artists or literary men. For the very force of habit, which has made them so quick to resent the least technical flaw in their special departments of work, has left them blindly indifferent to the hideous and revolting aspects of flesh-eating. To these aesthetes, so-called, the sight of an ugly house, for example, is a sore trouble and grievance, but the slaughter-house, with all its gruesome doings, is a matter of supreme unconcern, nay, rather a thing to be indirectly patronized and defended. I have known a case where an aesthetic lady, of great personal culture, and the centre of a polished circle, stained the floor of her charming suburban villa with bullock's blood brought from the shambles in a bucket. Yet the aesthete does not usually vindicate his carnivorous diet and its appurtenances with the old unhesitating heartiness of the barbarian. He is somewhat ashamed of himself, unconsciously perhaps, in these latter days even as the cannibal is ashamed when the discussion turns upon long pig. Like all the apologists of flesh-eating, in their respective spheres, he is shifty and evasive in his defences, and is not too proud, in his moment of extremity, to have recourse to the consistency trick, and to try to trip up his vegetarian persecutor with the retort of, You're another! From which signs of grace it may be surmised that the aesthete, in spite of his brave exterior, is not quite at ease in his dietary philosophy, and that the products of butchery are, in a very real sense, the skeleton in the cupboard, the larder cupboard, of literature and art. Esthete. Pray, why do you address yourself to me in that significant manner? 
vegetarian. Because I understand that you cultivate the artistic sense. You love to have beautiful things about you, do you not? So you must needs wish to be a vegetarian. Esthete. I love beautiful things, certainly. Art is my vocation. But what has vegetarianism to do with it? Vegetarian. Have the arrangements of the dinner-table nothing to do with it? The cloth, the silver, the glasses, the dessert, the flowers? Esthete. A great deal, obviously. There is much art in dining well. Vegetarian. Yet the meats that are served at the table have nothing to do with it. Is not that rather contradictory? Esthete. I did not say that. The cookery is an essential point, of course. Vegetarian. But what of the meat, the thing cooked? What is it? What was it? And how did it come to be on your plate? Esthete. I never think of such questions. So long as it is nice, I am content. It must satisfy my taste, that is all. Vegetarian. But are you sure that it does satisfy your taste in the same way that other things do? I think not, for you have never put it to the trial. In no other branch of art do you take things wholly on trust, but you try them by the standard of an independent and educated intelligence. In diet, and in diet only, you shut your eyes and open your mouth, as the children say, and never distinguish between a real innate liking and the liking that is merely traditional. Esthete. De gustibus non est disputandum. Vegetarian. About genuine tastes, I admit, disputation is idle. But the proverb is not true of the sham tastes to which I refer there is a great deal to be discussed about them. Esthete. But I assure you, my liking for a ham sandwich is a genuine taste. Vegetarian. With full knowledge of the pigsty and the pig-sticker. Do not the antecedents of your ham sandwich cause you a feeling of disgust? Esthete. Oh, well, if you persist in thinking about it, all feeding causes disgust. Don't you think there is something gross in the whole process of ingestion? Vegetarian. Then why not gorge on carrion at once? The moment you adopt the in-for-a-penny-in-for-a-pound attitude, you sacrifice the whole art of living. Esthete. But what of the processes on which vegetarianism itself depends? You talk of the filth of the slaughterhouse, but how about the filth of market gardening? To watch the soil being manured, if we let our thoughts dwell upon it, is enough to spoil all appetite for the produce of the garden. The more delicious the asparagus or the strawberries, the more we ought to loathe them. VEGETARIAN There I disagree with you entirely. There is nothing in the least disgusting, to me, at any rate, and I speak from personal experience, in the manuring of the soil or in any agricultural process, on the contrary, there is much that is wholesome and cheering in this chemistry of nature. The healthy mind takes a delight in gardening, just as it regards slaughtering with abhorrence. If you want to see the contrast between the effects of the two professions on those who practice them, compare the face of the typical slaughterman with that of the typical gardener. It is as remarkable as the contrast between a butcher's and a fruiterer's shop. Aesthete well, it is no use talking about it, our views of life are different. You are a social reformer and agitator, 
and agitation is fatal to the tranquillity of art. I am an artist, and do not care a straw for social reform. My creed is expressed in Keats' couplet, Beauty is truth, truth beauty, that is all ye know on earth, and all ye need to know. Vegetarian. Yes, but it is possible that Keats's meaning is somewhat deeper than you imagine. It is not your creed that I quarrel with, but your own misunderstanding and misuse of it. That the oneness of truth and beauty is knowledge sufficient, I admit. But my complaint is that you do not really know it, and therefore I regard your aestheticism, the aestheticism that makes clean the outside of the cup and the platter, and the outside only, as mere vandalism in masquerade. Nor is even the outside of the aesthetic platter free from offence, for there is nothing more hideous to the eye, not to mention the mind, than the scorched corpses, as Bernard Shaw calls them, that are displayed on polite dinner-tables when the dish-covers are removed. Among the customs at table that deserve to be abolished, wrote Lee Hunt, is that of serving up dishes that retain a look of life in death codfish with their staring eyes, hares with their hollow countenances, etc. It is in bad taste, an incongruity, an anomaly, to say nothing of its effect on morbid imaginations. Perhaps, however, the most morbid imagination, or lack of imagination, is that of the persons who are not disgusted by these ugly sights. Art and humanity, then, are but two branches of the same stock, the true humanist and the true artist are own brethren. To the artistic temperament, in particular, vegetarianism has the surest right of appeal, for the aestheticism which can prate of truth and beauty, while it battens like a ghoul on bloodshed and suffering, has abnegated its own principles, and has ceased to be artistic. How would it be possible for the scenes that are hourly enacted in slaughter-houses to be tolerated for a moment in a community which had any real artistic consciousness. Yet what aesthetic protest, except from vegetarians, is ever raised against them? Take, for example, the following extract from some notes descriptive of the Chicago meat factories. Slithered over bloody floor. Nearly broke neck in gore of old porker saw a few hundred men slicing pigs, making hams, sausages, and pork-chops. Whole sight not edifying, indeed rather beastly. Next went to cattle-killing-house. Cattle driven along gangway and banged overhead with iron hammer. Fell stunned, then swung up by legs, and man cuts throats. Small army of men with buckets catching blood. It gushed over them in torrents, a bit sickening next to sheep-slaughter-house, more throat-cutting, ten thousand sheep killed a day, more blood, place reeks with blood, walls and floor splashed with it, air thick, warm, offensive. Yes, said Guide, armour's biggest slaughter-house in the world. There's no waste, we utilise everything, everything except the squeak of the pigs, we can't that. Went and drank brandy. It is much to be regretted that it is not found possible, in this enterprising establishment, to can the squeak, as well as the flesh, of the pig, for such a phonographic effect might suggest certain novel thoughts to the refined ladies and gentlemen, who contentedly regale themselves on ham sandwiches at polite supper-tables. 
for imagine what the result would be in studio and boudoir dining-room and drawing-room if the death cries of the slaughter-house could be but once uncanned and brought to hearing the groans and screams of this poor persecuted race as de quincey said of cats if gathered into some great echoing hall of horrors would melt the heart of the stoniest but far vaster and more impressive would be the world-wide hall of horrors which should contain the bitter cry of the victims of the butcher would that it were possible thus to compel the aesthetic flesh-eater to face the music of his misdeeds and remember it is not only at the big slaughtering centres that these ugly trades are carried on nor are they there perhaps at their ugliest but every town and every village has its private torture-dens where the same carnage is performed the year round on a smaller scale and in a clumsier manner and everywhere the butcher's shop presents the same ghastly spectacle of quartered carcasses hanging a row and gloated over by shopping women one would think it incredible that any lover of the beautiful could doubt that the national sense of beauty must be seriously impaired by these disgusting and degrading sights but enough of the subject were we to dwell too long on it we should be tempted to exclaim as was said of another kind of iniquity while these things are being done beauty stands veiled and music is a screeching lie End of section eleven